So, so some of you heard that 18 months ago we moved from north of Aberdeen, 150 miles further south, to uh, a tiny village on the edge of the Trossachs. Um, the edge of a tiny village. And one of the non-negotiables for my wife and I in choosing where we wanted to live was we wanted, it was crucial for us to have a place from where we could take walks. Um, it was an area that we didn't know about, but walks with the dog were crucial for us. And so we've spent the last 18 months exploring the area from the house. And we've found places uh, purely kind of pioneering exploring. And we've started naming these places. So there's Bluebell Woods. And we've found uh, a place that we're calling Magical Forest. And then there's, um, there's the Burnton Loop. So if it's a lovely evening, the Burnton Loop is just amazing. And uh, we continue to explore. And my wife might take the dog out early one morning and come back and say, Andrew, I found an extension to that other walk. And as you move that through that corner, or take, take the left fork instead of the right that we've been so comfortable with, the views there are absolutely stunning. We continue to explore and get amazed by what we see. What if we were to regard the Bible as a vast landscape with hundreds of trails and a lifetime's worth of root combinations and variations, each revealing fresh vistas of one vast, unchanging reality. This just struck me uh, earlier this week. What if? There are those walks that we are so familiar with, my wife and I, and just love and return to. But those moments of excitement when we think, what is up there? And we explore. And as we've become slightly more experienced with this, we've discovered that there are times when we might take the left fork because it looks promising, but actually we need to backtrack because it's peters out and it was it was not going to be useful but that hasn't stopped us taking other left forks later on and life could become for us an exploration into scripture where we move beyond the comfortable areas and say what if and I want to talk us through uh, this afternoon a hike that I've been on in regard to uh, part of Colossians 1 the passage that I've been given so I'm going to ask you to put on your trail running shoes because you're going to have to, at speed, I'm going to retrace where I have been and I've taken rather more time over, over the last um, moments through the last couple of weeks. But would you like to walk this walk that I have found and loved and been surprised about? I'll even take you to the edge of some of the false trails um, that I thought, mm, that might be interesting, and we didn't get there. But this is our passage a famous passage. So when we were given this passage, I know where, I've not preached on this before, but I know this passage. It's, it's beautiful. It's a hymn. It's stunning. So let's just read it through together and just, just absorb. Enjoy the view from here. It's a relatively comfortable space. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And... He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Uh, I have known this passage to be full of superlatives, and it's lovely to get that familiar view, just to wash, to breathe it in deeply. I like this view, and I'm familiar with it. Um, one of the things that struck me about it is the number of times we just find the, that, that word all, 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 all. It's just, it, it, it's, a, it's a mountain top. In fact, one, there's in there um, an, uh, everything that I changed back into an all because I think it was the same word as the other. So it just worked for me if I can get back to all of them being alls. And it just crossed my mind. Is there anywhere else in the New Testament where we find quite so many alls? Because this must be, must be about the most dense part of the New Testament where it's not quite, actually, I discovered. We could go across to 1 Corinthians for something a little bit more dense in terms of the alls, but it's right up there. This is a passage that is just saying to us, wow, this is amazing. And then I just looked a little bit deeper and I... Mm, I was somewhat deflated because the key bit that we're supposed to be looking at today just took away my breath, not in an excited way, but kind of, oh, no. He is the image of the invisible God. And I've always thought, he is the image of the invisible God. But it just crossed my mind for a moment, and so am I. Is that, not, is that not right, that other place? But it's obviously wanting to take me to Genesis 1, that humankind made in the image of God. And that just didn't quite ring true, that this passage of superlatives, of otherness, just starts off by saying, and he's a bit like you and me. And I wasn't quite content with that, Um, But nonetheless, it struck me that there are other clues in the passage that want to take me to that beginning of Scripture. We've we've got this creation, we've got this created, we've got this created. It's kind of saying, go back to Genesis 1, which is what I was thinking we should be talking about there. But something wasn't quite landing on this bit of the walk. And then we see this phrase, in heaven and on earth, and it's there down at the bottom again, on earth or in heaven. Now, that's taking me back to Genesis. There are enough clues here that are saying, let's go back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created uh, the heavens and the earth. There are enough clues in this passage to say, go back there. But something in my mind was saying, I'm not sure this passage full of superlatives is quite starting off saying... He's the image of the 
invisible God, a bit like you and me. But, but on the other hand, he happens to be the firstborn of all creation. So I then started digging further into that image of God passage as we find it in the beginning of Um, the Bible. Um, so let's look at verse 27 there. Um, so God, this is well known, isn't it? This is a familiar bit of another journey I've done before. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And, and I, I know that, what clever people have told me that there are various ways of understanding what image of God mean. Um, and they it strikes me that they can't all mean the same thing, at least not in every passage, because some of these are mutually exclusive. But I was wanting to look, what is, what is this passage saying about what image of God means? And there were some clues that follow on um, later on. You can see that I've underlined or, or, or put in red this word rule over. So the beginning of, of uh, earlier in chapter one, we've got these, these signs that are put up in the, in the heavens to, to rule the day and to rule the night. God set them in the, uh, in the expanse of the heavens. There's signs up there. And then later on, we've got images down here uh, that are there to rule over. Actually, it's, it's, it's a slightly different word there, but I think this works for us. We'll pick it up later on. Uh, to rule over the earth. So there's something there that strikes me that these signs are tasked in the heavens the sun and the moon, these and other planetary bodies, these, these signs are asked to rule up there, and these images are asked to rule down here. Uh, and there's something exciting and, uh, and significant about that. Um, so to some extent, as an image of God, Adam and Eve are tasked with ruling. But you and I know if we were to follow on down this trail, we get to the next chapter, which I have comfortably uh, known as the fall. In fact, my Bible says this is called the fall. But as my wife and I have been walking through this other trail called Genesis chapter 3, we've begun to think that that, that, that sign at the beginning of that passage calling it the fall. I'm not so sure about that. And um, there, are, there are crucial lines. In fact, we've begun to call that passage, not the fall, just privately between the two of us. I'm not telling anybody. We're calling it um, the two curses uh, chapter, not, not the fall chapter, because something significantly wrong happens in that next chapter. And we discover that what happens is that the, the land is cursed. The land that they were to rule over is cursed. And one of the animals, particularly the snake is cursed. Again, they were supposed to be ruling over them. So something has gone wrong with this task of ruling because of what Adam and Eve had done. And they are banished from the garden. The two curses create a significant impact on them. They can no longer, it seems, rule over the land and the animals in the way that they had so easily been able to do. In fact, as part of the curse for Eve, um, God tells her, um, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. 
I, I need to do a bit more digging in quite what that means, but I just intrigued the signs ruling up there, the images ruling down here. Something goes wrong, and actually it looks a little bit like that the husband is going to start ruling over, uh, over his wife. Something in terms of the, that image of God has gone problematic. But now, that's enough on this little bit of a trail. I'm still somewhat puzzled about if we can get back to... Um, yes, uh, was that the next, have we skipped one? No, we haven't skipped one. So um, let's go back to Colo- uh, Colossians in, in just one moment. Let's think. So I've still got this problem. He is the image of the invisible God. Is that a wow or is it he is the image of the invisible God, a bit like you and me, etc.? But the next two trails we look very quickly at gave for me real eye-openers. You turn this corner that I'd never done before and just round the corner. So the first of these is Romans 8.29. Same language in terms of image that we saw in Colossians 1. Those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That makes me think me becoming the image of his son is something that's not yet happened. It's predestined. It's a possibility that is going to happen. And the second very, very short trail, which actually I found before the Romans 8 one, was this one in 2 Corinthians. It's potentially more exciting. As we all look at the mirror and see the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, the Spirit. And I began to land at this point and think, in Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, not like you and me, but his vision, his plan, is that we also will one day be the image of the invisible God. Something went seriously wrong. But incrementally, Step by step, Jesus' plan is that we might also be that image. He is the image bearer and becomes the image restorer. So here we are. Adam and Eve were earth rulers in the image of God. Jesus is now the earth ruler in the image of God. He is also the image restorer. And one day in us, that image will be fully restored. He is the image of the invisible God. And you could also be. And where that leads me, the big question that I'm now wanting to ask is, so what on earth did that image look like? What on earth? did that image look like? Thank you, Angie. I'm going to 
ask you to take your boots off for a moment and just sit and we're going to have a look around this place where we've found ourselves just for a few moments. What does it mean for Jesus, the image of God and the image restorer? And can we describe that image which Jesus portrayed for us and is now restoring in us? So I know that there's a lot of very sensible people here, so I wondered if you might be able to help me. So are you ready to help me? Um, this is my little thing for this weekend. I wonder how many of you have got the What Three Words app. Um, you know, it divides the whole world up in three metre squares, and each three metre square has three words associated for, for it, random words that locate you very specifically there. I looked up the what three words for St. Andrew's Baptist Church, and this was so interesting. This is it. Chapels. Random three words. The first one, chapels, shortens holiday. (laughs) So there you go. That's your what three words. But imagine for a moment what three words. There is not a right answer, okay? There may be some wrong answers, but there's not a right answer. What three words could precisely locate you as being made in the image of God? When somebody says to you, what does it mean for you to be made in the image of God? I wonder what what you think of, what immediately comes to mind. This is a bit where you have to be super brave and speak. Otherwise, this sermon will go on even longer. (laughs) What three words, what kind of things come to mind when you think, I am made in the image of God? What does that look like? Kind. Okay, that's a great word. Selfless. Is anyone else going to join in or are you just going to do this on your own? Because I'm really appreciating it. Childlike. Loving. Compassionate. Creative. That's the first one that always comes into my mind, actually. Reconciling. Anyone from the balcony? You're not so far away that I won't be able to hear. Joyful. It's just really interesting to think, well, what does this actually look like? How might we express that reality? How do we demonstrate that we have been created in the image of God? Does it mean gardening? I really hope not, because I'm not really that great at that. But there is something there, isn't there, about looking after, harvesting, growing food and families and neighborhoods and communities and works of art and creativity and music and something that demonstrates that caring for this world and and seeing all its amazing resources come into play and using them to the best of our ability and creativity. But of course we know, don't we, that the image of God is shattered, it's distorted, And when we look in a mirror that has been broken, everything is kind of right and somewhat wrong. And that's what we see, that we're kind of right and somewhat wrong. So our looking after the earth becomes very easily exploitation. And actually we deal with suffering and we deal with injustice as our selfishness puts us over other people and we look after ourselves and not 
them. And at times we are not kind, we are unkind, we are not caring, we are uncaring, we are not compassionate, we lack compassion. And we see that broken within us. And that's why, and you know the answer, don't you? Because you've been in church a while. We need Jesus. We need him to restore us to his likeness, to be like him, conformed to his likeness, transformed one degree of glory to another. I guess there's a lot of degrees in this room. But I wonder if there's a lot of degrees of glory. Because on that day, God will not be holding up our certificates. But he will be looking for those degrees of glory where we are being conformed ever increasingly to the likeness of his son, Jesus. And I love this few verses from Ephesians chapter 2. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. There's a lot of hard work in this room, right? A lot of hours of studying, a lot of essays. We cannot take credit for what Jesus has done for us. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I think Tyler even referenced that right at the beginning of the service. We are God's masterpiece. We are his work of art. We are his poem in order to do what we were always created to do. Right from Genesis 1, right in the beginning, Jesus is restoring us to do what he made us to do as bearers of his image. And his image is beautiful. It's technicolor. It's diverse. It's intricate. It's attractive. It's truly human. It's full of goodness and kindness and gentleness and grace. Does that not sound good to you? Let me try that again. Does that not? To be in a community of people who are like that, for me to be like that, in my family, for us to be like that, for the church, God's community, to be like that, who wouldn't want to come in the door? Who wouldn't want to climb all those stairs? To be part of a community like that. And Isaiah both as a servant and as a representative of God's people, wrote these beautiful words, didn't he? In Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. And so it goes on, those beautiful, beautiful words and then Jesus takes those very words and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah 
the people of God, as the representatives of God, Jesus, the one who is the image of the invisible God, and then the Spirit of God empowering us to continue that kingdom life as those who rule and represent him where we are. So what does it look like to be made in the image of God? It is to be those who proclaim freedom to the prisoner, who give hope to the oppressed, who say it's okay not to be okay. I am walking with you. Who bring good news to the poor. This is what it's like to be made in the image of God and for our church communities to be those made together in the image of God in the power of the Holy Spirit to be those people, to fulfill that calling, to bring hope in a world that currently and through many ages has needed hope, has needed and does need good news, who is which a world that's full of the poor, full of the oppressed, full of those suffering injustice, and our calling to be like Jesus in the power of the Spirit is to, to serve those folks wherever we are, whatever that looks like in our community, to be a diverse, technicolor, wonderful group of people from every tribe of, and tongue and nation under the Lordship of Christ, displaying his Lordship and his kingdom wherever we find ourselves. We're going to finish by watching a little video together that just captures something of what that's like. And then Tyler and the guys are going to come and lead us. Amen. May you celebrate the gift of now. Create without fear. Dream beyond borders. Awaken to being here. You are made in the image. May you dress the wounded, encourage the downtrodden, steady the stumblers, lift the fallen. You are made in the image. May you speak for the silenced, Welcome the unwanted, provide for the destitute, fight for justice. You are made in the image. May you unnerve the arrogant, unsettle the indifferent, challenge the self-satisfied, confound the hateful, be the light. You are made in the image.